0: evening patriots and today is sunday october 9th in the year 2022 obviously east coast you've now hit monday morning early god bless you all for being here after being on that east coast for a while man that is a tough one to keep shows going late and i really appreciate you all that are on the east coast that always hang out for the nighttime chat patriots before we begin make sure you are getting all the good night's sleep you need i'll tell you in this travels that i've been doing night sleeps become extremely valuable and having a great night's sleep with great pillows, great sheets, great mattresses becomes invaluable. And with all the hotels that I've stayed in over the last 6 weeks, I'm telling you there is nothing like coming home to your my pillow setup. My pillow pillows, my pillow Giza cotton sheets, my pillow comforter, mattress, the whole thing. So, Patriots, go over and check out MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Search through the entire website. Make sure and use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S, and there you're going to get amazing savings on amazing products. This is a company, obvious as we know, that is a true patriot company led by God. There's Mike Lindell is a man of Jesus, and with that, we are, we're we're Every time we're buying great quality products, we're also contributing to an amazing fight to restore this nation. So again, mypillow.com forward slash bards, mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code is bards. You will not regret ever buying a piece of some of their material and some of their products. I love it all and I highly recommend you do the same. And what a great time right now as well to be buying pillows and sheets, especially pillows for our liberal friends (laughs) to give them that true blessing of a pillow that comes from a company that worships Jesus to give them a good night's sleep and hopefully give them dreams that will change their heart and turn their eyes back to God. So again, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. Patriots, I've been down in Yuba City with Glad Tidings Church since Thursday, and it's really been an amazing experience. I was Actually, at the men's camp, which was way up in the mountains, about three hours from Yuba City. And that's where we were from Thursday night, Friday, and then Saturday. I I gave four talks there and was with some of the most amazing guys you can possibly imagine. I'm going to tell you, I I gained so much respect for what goes on up here at Glide Tidings Church in Yuba City. I've come to know Pastor Dave well in the last few days, and I would really, I call him friend. And, and I mean that truly from the bottom of my heart. It's like we were, the minute that we connected is very much like it was two people that hadn't seen each other for years and were just catching up. And I think that's really the way God weaves great connections anyway and brings us together. And David asked me to come last year to the men's conference and speak. And I was, after Bards Fest, I was just totally exhausted. And so we planned on this year and it worked out and it's worked out amazingly well. So I spoke at the men's Camp, and then I also last night spoke at the church. I spoke again today. I it's more than speaking because I was talking for an hour. So I was kind of guest, the guest of the church last night, this morning, and then tonight. Uh, Duncan is covering the live play of this, which I'm grateful for. So give him always give Duncan Kilted Christian a great shout out for all the great work he does. But tonight I'm up at their satellite church, giving my last talk for the weekend. Here's what I, what I really wanted to share in so many ways of this, because it's been pretty profound. You know, the, the men's group, and as you got to know these people, there's a whole mix of people, but there's a core element here that this church does, which is outreach to the prisons and to the juvenile detention facilities. And there's a lot of guys here that have gone through some really rough times in their lives. The stories that you hear from these men of how they were abused by their fathers or abused in their homes as children is it's to the point where you, it's just makes you want to cry. The horrific stories of abuse that have come out and how these guys have ended up many of them as a result of that in gangs, they res- they ended up in prison. You know, they've got, people that were running guns for the mafia or the, ma- or the cartel at one point. You have people that have, have trafficked drugs. You have people that have done a lot of things. And I have never been around a group of men that love Jesus so much. And that reflects the story myself, and this is where I really think it's a gift from God, of what I ran into when I was thrown in jail for 20 days back in August of 2017. Because what I discovered behind the walls was that there was a unbelievable power of the Holy Spirit there. And that doesn't set well always with people. Because they want to think that the temple of the church is where so much of the Holy Spirit resides. And it does, but God is not discriminating about where he's going to be. He's looking for people whose hearts are open and willing to accept him. And what I've seen here, not only in the men's camp, but in the church is that people are just alive and well and celebrating Jesus in the most amazing ways. And there's a vibrancy and excitement for the Holy Spirit here than a love for Jesus and a pursuit for Jesus that is completely refreshing but equally just so empowering. These guys, when you're around guys like this for four days, and I'll be honest, I mean, these are men of that have had real-life experiences of hardship, of rough, rough times of true grit stories in their life. And it may not make you feel comfortable what they do, but I will tell you that shapes a soul. And yet these are men that have the humility to come before Christ and open their heart. They are men that come have the strength of will to shed tears before Jesus and before the cross. And they have a steward, who is Pastor Dave, that they have... They just truly love this man. And when you see those things combined and then the welcoming that I received there with them as I've told my story, as I've talked, like I talk on these shows, it's been unbelievable as an experience to walk in and, and blessed truly really through the whole weekend I've really connected more deeply. Each step, God just seems to do this. I do the six-week trip, and I say to you, man, I had a connection with God like I never had before. And then I get here, and I have a connection with God even deeper than that. And it's just like each step gets deeper and more profound. And it leads me always to that place of the true power that we wield with the sword of the Spirit. And it's it's what we, on the surface, refer to as love. And we refer to it as this never-ending love, but we forget really the intensity and the power and the might of what that represents. God is unbelievably powerful and mighty. And as we open our hearts to this, the one thing we can't do is limit him to what he wants to do in our lives. And we do that a lot. We, we immediately judge people, denounce people. We find something uncomfortable and we steer away from it. And the problem is when we're doing that, and I think if you put this to prayer, you're going to find very similar. God's going to give you the same answer. Are you limiting me? Because God works in amazing ways through amazing people that we may not see or recognize. And so much of that process as we have to work through this is to realize that the Holy Spirit's moving. We have a a really rigid perspective on things many times. And what I'm seeing here is that the testimonies of these guys that were in some of the worst places and some of the worst prisons in California, I'm telling you, their testimonies are profound of how they discovered Jesus and what brought them through, and even in the depths of their worst moments when they thought they could never go forward, God was there. And I, and I have my own versions of those testimonies to confirm that, but these are stories that are far deeper and darker than anything I could imagine myself. And yet these are men now that are literally mighty men in Christ. And it's that way because Jesus ultimately forgives all and strengthens all. I've really been focusing a lot on this whole last few days of what I would refer to as, and, and actually in all fairness, this term was given to me by, by Brad Cummings because you know, I've been working on a, a book together. And this is a, a concept that he's been working with to bring into the book, which is called the dread champions of righteousness. And this is literally the mighty men of Christ that can stand before the evil and with such profound anchoring and root in all that Jesus is, wielding that power of the sword and the spirit, and just be able to confront evil with such pronounced presence that evil itself just scurries away. That's the powerful dread champions of righteousness. So I'm going to start tonight with a story. And I, I know that I've told it here now several times, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it again. I may have told it on the show already, but I, I want to tell it as I've been telling it here. And it's literally the story of the 2001 Tostito Fiesta Bowl between Oregon State and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And I think you know, we're going to look at this from a couple of different lenses, but I just want you to hear the story, and just and and keep in mind that we're we're dealing with looking at the heart of victory, the heart of a warrior, the, and what warfare looks like when you seek to become clear that you are the victor, representing the righteousness of God. Now, this game has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear about this, but this is going to become our metaphor as we talk. So. Oregon State Beavers versus Notre Dame fighting Irish in 2001 Tocito Fiesta Bowl that was played in Tempe, Arizona on 1 January of 2001. Now, this is at the Sun Devil Stadium. Oregon State is the the incoming underdog. They have played out their season and had a good season under coach Dennis Erickson. And then you have Notre Dame fighting Irish, which in their mind, and I'm being very specific about that term, in their mind, they are the righteous team. Catholic, their school is a Catholic school, and their coach is Bob Davy. So the attendance in that game was 75,428. Oregon State and Notre Dame arrive about a week before the game starts. This is normal, they have to do their getting used to the weather, getting their players accustomed to the field, but after the first day or so, Notre Dame is completely on a trash talk run. And the media is just spinning around them as they do because they love this sort of stuff. And, and Notre Dame is completely degrading to Oregon State. It's, it's their attitude. If Notre Dame is that beavers are underdogs. There's no possible way they can win. They're the righteous team to win. It's theirs to own. And like I said, righteousness in their mind only. And they go so far as even to refer to Oregon State as a cow college. And where that comes from is that Oregon State is a land-grant college. I attended there. That's where I got my degree in history. And as a land-grant college, one of the base um, it schedules, or I shouldn't say schedules, but programs that they have to run is agriculture. That's how they started. They were an agriculture school. So it's in a very offhanded and degrading way. When you talk. they talk about Oregon State, they'll often call it a cow college. Now, in fairness, Oregon State's history in football has been pretty rough. I know I've been asked here a couple of times, like, do you go to, did you go to a lot of Oregon State games? And my answer was no, because about the only thing you could do to endure the suffering loss was to drink, and I had no desire to get drunk at games, which I know a lot of people did. There was probably more schnapps drank at games than anywhere in the country for people to try to endure the painful losses. And I mean they were painful losses. But Dennis Erickson was hired as a coach. He'd been the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, a pro team, and he came to Oregon State. One thing Dennis Erickson understood very well was how to build a team and how to win. And Dennis Erickson really pulled from those people that other colleges didn't want. They were the guys that came from inner city. They were they were rough football players. And they understood street fighting as well as they understood rough play on the field. And he built a very good team out of it and these guys became very loyal and very strong under Dennis Erickson just to caveat this I think Dennis Erickson was probably the best coach Oregon State's ever had and I will assure you when you hear this story I'm in a minority because we have so many people that are spineless and weak and don't appreciate the concept of true victory so back to the game this is this after the first or second day, Notre Dame is trash-talking Oregon State. The media is on a swarm to try to, you know, try to get Oregon State's comments and definitely feeding Notre Dame's comments. So Erickson and the staff of Oregon State, the coaching staff, secure a motel across town in Tempe and secure another practice field unbeknownst to anybody. In the dark of night, they take the players out of the hotel and they put them into vans that they've rented, and they shuttle them out to this other location and don't inform anybody. So the press comes to find Oregon State, and Oregon State's gone. And nobody knows what's happened. And so they start sending out scouts, but it, doesn't, it isn't until the day before the game that they finally discover where Oregon State is, and they've been playing in practice uniforms, like I said, across the city in another field that they were able to secure at a hotel that they didn't tell anybody about. So game day comes, and obviously Notre Dame's doing their same trash-talking, living in their righteousness of their mind, and Oregon State gets on the field. Now let's, let's go through how the game plays out. So first quarter, Oregon State scores three, Notre Dame zero. Second quarter, Oregon State scores nine, Notre Dame three. Halftime comes, Oregon State scores 29, Notre Dame zero. And in the fourth quarter, Oregon State scores zero. Notre Dame scores six, which was a touchdown against the second string of Oregon State and couldn't even do the conversion point. The score at the end of the game is 41-9. to It's an absolute rout. But the real story is in this statistic. And it reads, the Beavers won despite... Penalized, being penalized 18 times for 174 yards, which set a record and a Fiesta Bowl record. Now, let me tell you about that statistic, because the majority of that came in the fourth quarter. And what Dennis Erickson did was to instruct his team to make sure that Notre Dame never forgot this game, that they would never forgot their forget their arrogance. And so he told the players, penalties don't matter, just make it hurt and make them remember. This is the fierceness of a warrior that seeks victory and to make sure his enemy never forgets. And in the process, they took off about three Notre Dame players on out of, off on stretchers. Now, later when challenged about this, of course, the, the media and the, the spineless administration thought that this was uncruel, was cruel and not sportsmanlike. I don't believe that. And especially in this example, what you are seeing is an attitude that I would call what, what is the dread champions of righteousness. Now the problem is right now, if you really want to be honest about where we sit as a nation as, and as a nation in, in Christ, we are Notre Dame. We're not Oregon State. And we're out here cooing around and we love to do things like, oh, God will always win and we're good. I've accepted Christ. I've got nothing else to worry about. And the problem is that we're absolutely walking away from our responsibility that we have on this earth. Accepting Christ is just the beginning, and this fight is every day, and our need to stand and continue to confront the enemy working through God is our process, literally occupy, expand, and subdue. But we fall to the Notre Dame issue, and we coo around, and then when things don't go right, what do we do? We turn to God, and we say, God, why don't you fix it, which is... Kind of like turning to Coach Davy and going, "Dave, Coach Davy, fix our game for us." The reality is that the players on the field are what count. If we want to be honest about what we're looking at, we're looking at an an offensive attack against us from Satan's army. And you can imagine it goes something like this: as Satan's army looks across, them and they're like, "Satan, these are God's children. We have no chance." And Satan laughs and he says, sure. I told them to wear a mask and they bowed to me. I told them to take a shot and they bowed to me. I tell them to go inside their homes. They bow to me. I tell them to pay taxes. I tell them to do whatever I tell them and they bow to me. They're not worthy. We are the ones that have the true rights to this world so make it hurt and make them never forget. And we go through these losses and we turn to God and we say, God, why is this happening? Because we're letting it happen. The, what we need in this nation are dread champions of righteousness for God. We need those that are willing to stand boldly and to make it understood and make the enemy understand that you will not cross this line any further. That you will remember this attempt to take this world from us. And the problem so many have is they just have a difficult time stepping into this space because they keep looking and going, well, yeah, but, but, but Jesus has already won this. God's already won this. Folks, that's true. That doesn't mean we don't have a role in it. And when God wins as he won, has won in the past, take Noah, it doesn't mean you're gonna come out on the right side of that fight unless you're putting your feet hard on the ground and pushing in. This is a critical time for us to start embracing what is ahead. The dread champions of righteousness are needed and God needs them. It's part of our role here. And it all comes down to what's in our heart And what we're willing to commit to in terms of the intensity and focus of what our mission is. Dennis Erickson, I have no idea whether he's a man of Christ or not. I just know that what he demonstrated was an intensity and a focus of winning a game. To make sure that those who were cooing around and degrading and trying to take credit for being righteous in their own mind, he reminded them that they weren't. The ferocity came from different places, and it came from the ones that were quiet, that the ones that were loyal and dedicated and focused. By the way, that little incident right there, Notre Dame didn't get past that loss. For four more seasons, they lost bowl games. Dennis Erickson was right, and he won. Because he left them with a memory that he knew in a school with that much legacy that they would never forget, and arguably, they never will. We say, and and it comes in, in in the idea of Proverbs 24, six, for by wise guidance, you will wage war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. We need the great counselors. We need that strength from the pulpit. We need the strength in our community to guide. And we know that we're not out here leading by us it's God guiding us and leading us but I'm telling you God's speaking boldly and he is pushing us to take a stand and take action the other challenge we always have is really rooted in Matthew 11 12 13 Matthew 11 12 2 13 excuse me from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force we don't like that term violence we shy away from it like that. no, that no, no, doesn't make, that's not good. And then someone will try to tell me, well, that's out of context. The term, the idea of violence is a mindset. And what you can see within the game with Oregon state is they understood the mindset of violence, not because they were hurting people, taking them off the field, but because it was a commitment to what they were willing to sacrifice and give no quarter. You can be, you can literally be a baker and baking cookies and have a mindset and a focus of violence in the kingdom because you're fearless. It's what you, you learn in the arts of martial study. That is a mindset that no matter what you confront, there's no evil that stands before you that you will not conquer. And if you suffer your own loss of your life in the process of doing so, and you've already got Jesus in your heart, then hallelujah you enter the kingdom. But this warrior concept that we're dealing with in, in our faith has been way washed away. It's too uncomfortable. It's not convenient. It doesn't make it soft and easy. And it means we have to commit to something and be ferocious. And we need to be. You know, these men that I sat with and were with, I prayed with, we cried together, we worshiped together for four days, or three days, excuse me. Two and a half is actually more accurate. These men have seen true, raw, unrestrained violence. They've lived through true, raw, unrestrained violence. And yet I would say today their hearts contain the true sense of violence of heaven as they possess that intensity and pursuit of Jesus in such an amazing way that nothing will stand between them and that pursuit of the love of Christ they've overcome impossible odds whether it's addiction whether it's people telling them they'll never work again because they've got something on their record just dealing with the burdens of their own sufferings in their lives maybe it was the abuse of their of their father and i mean deep dark abuses that really should only be left to the bowels of hell quite frankly and yet these are men now that have lives they have Young children, you see a pouring out of love, an amazing thing, but the thing is they understand what it takes to get there, the intensity, the focus it takes to keep it. And it's truly, as I work with these guys, it's, it was so comforting because it was very much my normal, my place to be, my place to be with others that understood that if we don't stand strong in this kingdom and doing kingdom business, this enemy is not going to roll over and it's not going to stop. It's going to keep pushing. And we use the term violence. We always think of like, I'm going to take a mallet or something to somebody. And I'm going to say it again. This is an intensity of mindset. And if you're uncomfortable with my use of the term, it's in scripture. So let's just start there. If you want to talk about violence of action, let's talk about flipping tables. Because I'll give you the story on violence of action there. Violence of action and the flipping of tables. I've told you this before, but it's really important to appreciate. People in the old cultures don't move around. They stay in the same place, even in the same household, for generations. That's one of the great lessons from Afghanistan. Where you found families that had been there with a history and a legacy that would go sometimes 200 years or more. So, when you flip somebody's table as the son of God, you have stained his business. You have stained that family. There is a mark on that house that will last for as long as they are there. It will not go away. Just to put that in real-term context, if you doubt what I'm going to say, I'm talking to an interpreter one day in Afghanistan, and he's telling me about going traveling up to Kabul, which was no small journey where we were, and meeting with his cousin. She was going to university. And he was telling her the story of another tribe not to trust them. And I said, why is this? He said, because they stole a goat from us, from our family, when we were in dire need. Our family nearly starved to death. I said, okay, when did that happen? He said, 200 years ago. 200 years ago, and they're still telling the same story over and over on not to trust a particular tribe. And we can get into the whole issue of forgiveness and so forth, but that's not in this story. My point is, those marks and those stains stay on households, and that, was, that proved itself again and again and again in everything I did in Afghanistan. And why do I use Afghanistan? Because it's a deep look at an old world culture and how they operate. So that guy that got his table flipped, He'd have a couple choices. He could try to keep his business going, but guarantee it, it was marked and stained for the rest of the time he was there, so his family probably would starve. He could change businesses, which he might end up doing, but he's still going to carry that mark with him that Jesus flipped his table, no matter whether he's doing money changing or not, or which is more likely, is he would move to another village, which is unheard of. Because I wouldn't say unheard of, but it's a dramatic shift because it's just not commonly done. We're a transient culture now. We get used to like living in five different homes as we grow up. Not there and not then. So going to another town, another place, he becomes a stranger and he's literally starting his family legacy all over. That is what would be called violence on action. Because... There's no, that concept of what Christ did in flipping the table was well understood by him. He's the son of God. He understood very well the impact of flipping a table. And essentially destroyed a livelihood. But that's the intensity and focus which Christ carried. And he carried it throughout his entire walk. You've heard me say this so many times, and I I will just say it again. The image that is portrayed in many of our churches of Christ being some sort of hippie, like a dirty, smelly hippie, it's just wrong. He was a fierce and a fearsome warrior, intense beyond imagination. And this is the warrior now that is available to us. Accept him and bring him into our lives in an intimate and powerful way. And with that, we rise up to see who comes from the crowd of the dread champions of righteousness. And it's not everybody. we get the story of Gideon. We see how many are left out of tens of thousands. We get down to 300 dread champions of righteousness. 300 men that God ends up selecting for Gideon. And you can imagine when it's like, okay, now you're gonna go take on the army. And you can just imagine the guy's going, okay, uh, all right, that's a lot of, other, of them and not us. And especially then you're going to hear like, and by the way, you're going to blow horns and break pots of light. Guys are guys. You may not see this dialogue in the scripture, but guys are guys. Let me tell you, they're going to be like, what? You've got to be kidding me. But the difference is that these guys were pursuing God. And so I would assume it wouldn't take long, especially if Gideon says God says, this is what we're going to do. They're going to be like, all right, then. Then if that's what he needs us to do, we will trust in it and we will do it. And they execute. And what happens? We know very well what happens. They blow the horns. They break the pots of light. The army gets confused and scattered, starts killing themselves from within, causing total chaos. And eventually, they're able to be hunted down and destroyed. Look. As it says, from the days of, <clears throat> of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence, violent men take it back. We're at a very, very challenging time in our nation. And it is not one that we can take lightly. And it isn't one that's gonna be accomplished successfully with us sitting on the side. This sort of pushing in, leaning into this fight is more necessary than ever, but we need to start doing it together in our communities, not just individuals. These people designed this system so that there's a divide and conquer strategy and the divide and conquer strategy leverages the idea that if they can do that enough, then when they go after one person, they can make them an example and then they'll put fear in the rest of everybody else. We have to turn that around. We have to be fearless in a recently released video by an FBI informant when asked, How do you stop the FBI? His response was, it's a combination of citizens and the sheriff. And when they come to somebody's door, he says, there needs to be sheriffs lined up there and there needs to be citizens lined up there, confronting the FBI and letting them know that they are not welcome in that county. That's got a violence of action in the heart right there of what that demands. No timidity, nothing, just in focus and knowing that we are standing fearless in this gap. This enemy is evil. We know it is. We can see what they're doing. They're going after the children. They're going after the elderly. And they're leaving everybody else in between. I think it's Todd Collender, I believe, is the, is the attorney. And Cal- Calender, Todd Collender, he's down in Orange County. He's a good attorney. We're going to try to get him on the show. But Todd just recently found a document that's circulating up around NASA and the Department of Defense. And they have now been so bold as to reclassify humanity. Those that took the vax are now considered a different genome. They refer to them as Homo Borg Genesis. Homo Borg Genesis are those... That have now taken the vax. It's pretty telling in a name. These people aren't looking to make peace with you. These people are looking to destroy you. And in our fight in this land, it is taking all of our gifts and talents that God provides for us to stand to. We need to be breaking the ranks of the enemy. Someone asked me this morning, it's like, well, what do I do? I'm not a warrior. I'm like. Do you have a warrior heart? And they said, well, I think I do. Do you bake cookies? They said, yes. I said, so if you went into an Antifa stronghold and you delivered them cookies and said, these are for you, and you blessed them with, with the blessings of Jesus and God, is that a warrior mindset? And they said, yeah, I think so. And I said, yes, it is. That's the intensity we're talking about. We have to break out of the paradigms that we've been programmed to think, which is always bipolar. One of the biggest problems we've had in this nation is this whole concept that if I don't, I either do nothing or I jump to my guns. And that is a struggle that frankly and gladly over the last few years we've seen slowly diminish because people have learned the tools of information warfare. They've learning the tools more and more of influence. They're learning the tools, really, of discipleship. This world is undiscipled. Just look around. That's what a world looks like when you don't have disciples. It goes crazy. And we have to be focused on discipling and expanding the message of the Lord. But that means going into places that others won't go. I just got through meeting with a couple guys here at this camp. They call themselves Boots on the Ground. One of them just went to inner city Chicago and his role to pray with gang members and those in the hottest and worst places of violence. And that's exactly what he did for weeks. Prayer is one of the most powerful things we have as a tool. When we think of prayer as soft, prayer is part of that sort of the spirit. It wields life and death, and death is figurative in many ways because death is the destruction of what your old self is to re you empower you with the joy and love of Jesus. It's reborn through Christ. We have a lot of work to do. And our enemy is aggressive. And the more aggressive it gets, people tend to diminish to that aggressive voice. They, they collapse to it. They'll, they'll acquiesce to it because it's too difficult to stand up to it. I've seen this so many times. And, and seen it even in war zones. You get the thugs. And that's a lot of the work that we ended up doing over in Afghanistan was to try to separate The thugs, which were really, they just, that's what they are. They were just thugs and and criminals that were coming into villages, calling themselves Taliban, beating people, dragging them out at night, making examples of one so the others cowered in fear. And so much of the work that we did was to go into these villages and then start training, the special forces guys would train Locals to stand up and be their local police so they could push it back against the Taliban. And with that, we added layers of information training, how to do better agriculture, how to do how to do economically better in your household by having better health and wellness. How to get better prenatal care so you weren't wasting money, how to understand how to stand up and use local. Herbs so that you would be healthier and not reliant on the imported drugs from Pakistan. And just a litany of things like this. How How to save money on fuel by burning different things. How to dry meat and preserve food. All these things were part of empowering a community so they wouldn't be at the mercy of the thugs that would come in. But that takes a ferocity within the heart to be able to do that because there's always fear. It's like, well, what if, what if? What if they come in? What if they knock at your door? What if they take you down? What if, what if? Those are the imaginary things that hold us back, that become our fears, our anxieties. And where there's fear, there is weak faith at best. We've told, been told 365 times over and over the most, the most said statement in scripture, fear not, and for good reason. Because fearless men and women standing up in this time is what collapses the enemy's ranks. And we kind of look at this whole thing, it's pretty profound, because we're looking at this optic of a crazy world, and we can see very clearly right now what's going on if we have eyes to see. Their side is worshiping and, and getting excited about the victories of the things that don't count or matter in our lives other than emotional and notional. Their side is focused on compliance with all sorts of environmental regulations and trying to restrict what you can and can't do at every turn. Their side is focused on expanding 5g and getting deeper into meta. Their side is focused on things like worrying about what gender they are, whether they're going to be a furry or whether they're going to do a snip and tuck, whether they're going to be on hormone therapy or whether they're going to be able to have their freedom of sex to have sex with anything that they want. That's their stuff. Our side over here, if you really look deep at it, is really much more pragmatic. We're looking at the fundamentals. How are we gonna afford the cost of living increases? And what's our relationship with God? And for those that are just now coming, they're asking questions like, how do we explain this? How do we get a divine intervention for this period of time? Because we can't do this ourselves. God is shaking this world. And what will be left will be only those that are righteous in the kingdom. But along the way, he's absolutely shredding Satan's army. And it's just beginning. But if you look around, the testimonies are already starting to pop up. Leftists that are screaming bloody murder because they had to choose gasoline and filling their tank over being able to buy food. Screaming bloody murder because they can't pay rent. And they have to choose between rent and eating. See, that's how you shred Satan's army. And God's doing this right now. And it's profound if we look at it because it's the slow erosion. It's not happening overnight. It's the slow and steady erosion of all of those institutions that have been built on the foundations of sand. And as they collapse and they're shredding down to the bottom, we're over here on this side putting our prayers to God, trusting in Him deeper, finding that we can build fellowship and community, learning what it's like once again to work and support one another, taking responsibility in our lives for growing our own food, finding ways to earn a living that's not dependent on government subsidies or government agencies or corporate handouts. And all of this is happening as we're doing everything we can to steward better and to try to get closer to God while they're trying to throw up a temper tantrum and have these meltdowns, screaming and yelling and whatever because their worship temples are collapsing. But as they do, their eyes, for many of them, will turn away from their dark Luciferian roots and turn into something other. And that's where we have the greatest opportunity, but it's going to take a ferociousness in the heart and it's going to take a, to use the term, which will probably make people squirm a little, of violence on action. Which means that as we push into that, that is literally like trying to get these people back to Jesus. And I'm not one that will ever buy the idea that they won't listen and they're not worth hearing or talking to. And I've seen those comments come up and it's ridiculous. When I see these men here, And how broken they were and how far away they were from Jesus. And this church, Glad Tidings, and the work that they've done in getting into the prisons, meeting with these men. Do you know that the pastor and his wife adopted a guy at 40 years old? He was the first father this man has ever had. He calls him dad. He's an amazing man. I met him. He's never had a father, a true father. His father was massively abusive. And this pastor, Pastor Dave, and his wife adopted him at age 40 so that he could have a real father, an experience of a real father. And this man that I refer to, through all his struggles in jail and in prison, became the voice of God for many in there and saved hundreds of prisoners. See, God has no limits to who you'll reach to, but it takes. Purely fearlessness and a ferociousness and an attitude that no matter what comes at me, I will overcome it and conquer it. And when I leave, I will leave the enemy remembering their loss, just like Coach Erickson, that the enemy will never forget that I was here and God was working through me because I was standing as a dread champion of righteousness. Righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you for being here tonight. And we just ask, Jesus, that you can just move through the hearts of the many to give them that touch and that ferocity of of warrior sense that you always have been. And with that, Christ, comes so many things, Jesus, that we we forget that a warrior is humble, a warrior is mighty a warrior is righteous, a warrior is loving, but it's not one thing or the other, it's the full package of everything that we are. That as we stand boldly against this enemy, we can break his will by loving him, we can break his will by the ferocity of our action on target to be able to understand that no matter what we do, that enemy is never gonna break us. We can collapse our enemy with the compassion of a heart to listen to his stories and heal his wounds. We can collapse an enemy at times, even by flipping tables. So Jesus, we just pray tonight that as we sit here together in this amazing fellowship that spans across the globe, to hear our prayers, to touch each and every one of us, to give us that reminder of all that you were that allowed you to fulfill the mission here on earth to show us a way forward that was mighty, that was bold, that was fearless, that was relentless, and that was the true definition of a heavenly warrior. Let me say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, this is not a time to sit, and we talk about this a lot, and I'm just saying it again. We've got to keep moving. We've got a lot of people out there to awaken to the love of Jesus. We have a lot of gardens to plant. We have a lot of seeds to sow. And seeds grow in crazy times and crazy places. Never stop sowing the seeds. And that means even talking to those that sometimes you think don't hear you. But what we think and what Jesus can do they are two different things. So keep your head up and your eyes forward never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here, in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Oh,
1: I want to feel something I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest peace Oh, I want to feel something in yeah. my yeah.